Hello and welcome to Phenomena, the podcast where we talk about Irish women who have been underwritten or written out of Irish history. I am Maria and this is Shauna. And we are coming to you from week 135 of lockdown. Apologies again if the sound quality is not amazing. We still can't afford microphones because I am unemployed. This week we are doing our second week of our pirate special to try and help combat our cabin fever. Fever? Fever. And Shauna is going to be talking to us about... Grace O'Malley, a.k.a. Grani Whale. So she is known as the Irish Pirate Queen, but that isn't actually very accurate to an extent. So I think I'll just go ahead and get into it. Before I talk about Grace O'Malley, I need to give massive props to an author called Anne Chambers, who is a biographer. And she wrote biographies about Grace O'Malley. And without her research, actually, we wouldn't know much about her because like so many women of that time, and unfortunately all time, she was just conveniently left out of the history books. And up until the 80s, there was actually a lot of speculation of whether or not Grace O'Malley was even a real person, or was she folklore, or kind of put into the same bracket as Queen Maeve, where, you know, it gets lost between reality and, and, and myth and what actually happened. So big props to Anne Chambers for her research. We have a lot more info on Grace O'Malley today. So you know the way that last week I was saying that I like desperately wanted to be a pirate when I was a kid? Yes. Grace O'Malley is the pirate that I wanted to be. She was your icon, your pirate icon. I was obsessed with her. I think like my auntie had like a children's book which had a story about her and I read about her and was just like this is it. This is this is who I'm going to be. I'm going to shave. My mom genuinely had to stop me from shaving off all my hair. I actually like I knew her name but it was only in my 20s that I heard about her and the stuff that she did. I'm not sure if I did hear of her when I was a child, but didn't know the full ins and outs of it. It's kind of more in recent, my own recent history that I've actually heard of her. So that's really cool that you know about her as a wee one. Maria feministing since 1988. Now, the reason that she was kind of left out of history a little bit, besides the fact that she was a woman, there was a chronicle of medieval Irish history called the Annals of the Kingdom of Ireland or the Annals of the Four Masters. And it details the kind of Irish chieftains and, and lords and stuff. But it was compiled after she died, but she was left out of it, even though she was very much should have been in it. She was just mentioned as a footnote in it. So for a long time, people didn't know about her and actually how her history lived on was through storytelling and folklore and that's why some of it kind of has arms and legs on it now but she was mentioned in a lot of English state papers and that's how this woman Anne Chambers actually found out more about her. So with that in mind let's get into Grani Whale's story. So she was born in Ireland in 1530 and she was a daughter to a nobleman and sea trader Dovdara O'Malley which is an absolutely awesome name by the way Dovdara. He commanded the biggest fleet in Ireland for 2,000 years. Sorry, he didn't command it for 2,000 years. Their family commanded the, these fleets for 2,000 years. And they controlled much of what is known as Mayo today. So just to kind of put it in context, Henry VIII was the leader in England at the time. And at the time, Ireland was divided into 40 different kingdoms, which had chieftains, and her dad was one of them. 
and there was a lot of feuding went on between the kingdoms over land division and things like that so they didn't really look at the bigger picture i.e coming together to fight what would later become their biggest problem which was the english empire they just fought against each other and everything was very much about survival now her family were a little bit different because they had the advantage of being in charge of like a coastal area and her family had been seafarers and she was a part of this gaelic aristocracy really so her mother was called margaret or Maeve, and she was also a Nimala, Nimalia. I've always called her Grace O'Malley because I've never been able to pronounce the name properly. Yeah, and as well, the the kind of more anglicised version of it has lived on kind of past the the Irish pronunciation, unfortunately, like most of our language. The the only reason I actually know that it's Grainne Gael, and this is really bad and it's free advertising, but it's because of the name of the beer, Grainne Gael. Yeah, apparently there's a whiskey as well, so... There you go. She had a half-brother called Donal, who was the son of her father. And typically during this period, sons would inherit the father's, whatever he had, both land, castles. But O'Malley was considered to be the legal retainer of the family and seafaring activities. Local folklore has it, and as you mentioned earlier, you wanted to cut off your hair. The reason of that, I suppose, is because the folklore has it that as a young girl, she wished to go on a trading expedition to Spain with her father. And upon being told she could not go because of her long hair would catch in the ship's ropes, she cut off most of her hair to embarrass her father into taking her. <laughs> and this earned her the nickname Grainne Whale. That, that's the Irish word for bald or having cropped hair. So that's where the name Grainne Whale came from. So when she was 15, she married Donal O'Flaherty. And this was a good political match because his family were also Gaelic aristocracy. The old flatteries would have owned another or been chieftains to another kingdom. And he was known as Donal of the Battle because he loved war and fighting, which is just a really funny thing to love, you know. I think it would be amazing to have like a sitcom about Grainne Whale and Donal O'Flaherty, like this really chicken-headed guy that would run into any battle and then the really strong wife it would be like a medieval i don't know king of queens or something yeah like it would be awful you can make it really good really like a parody of those shows like but a history version like where's me i don't know like where's my dinner it's like i was out plundering i don't know go back to the battlefield and kill yourself a deer and then just canned laughter and canned clapping. Oh, God. I was thinking, though, it would be fun to have one of those names. You know, like, Grania the Bald, Jonah the Warrior or whatever. Shauna, I feel like you'd be Shauna the Poet. Um, I don't know. Um, that is flattering, though. Shauna the Bard. The bar- I like that. What would you be? Maria the Neurotic? The knowledge, yes. I like Maria the not no, that there's the better word for that. I should go to you to get this. You're you're Maria the Knowledge. Maria the polymath. We learned that in two episodes ago. There you go. Every day's a school day. So they had three children together, Owen, Maeve and Mirka. He was killed in an ambush by his enemies, that is Donald O'Flaher she was, and she took revenge on her husband's killer and killed him on Care Island. 
she took that castle then for herself called Duna Castle. And uh, then she went back to her own lands on Clare Island and established Gronuel Castle. Now, the reason that she couldn't stay in O'Flaherty's land is because at the time she would have had a dowry when she got married, but it was the law that on dissolution of the marriage, it would have to be returned to her. But since he died, she actually couldn't inherit his land due to a Gaelic law that they had, which was a misogynistic clause, really, that because she was a woman, she couldn't be in possession of his land, even though he died. So she had to go back to her own land, which she did, however, gain three galleys of soldiers. So she got something out of it. So this is kind of where her becoming a, a chieftain warrior leader starts happening. And then she goes and takes revenge and takes that other castle. So then by 1566, she had remarried to Richard Burke, and he was known as Iron Richard. Another, another strong name. They had one son together, and his name was Toby of the Ships. Because of the marriage, she got control of Rockfleet Castle, which was his castle. But they actually got divorced after a year, which you could do back then because everything was under Brehan Law, as opposed to Catholic rules, which came in later. And how she divorced him, apparently, is that he was away at battle. And when he came back, she had essentially changed the locks and threw all his stuff outside and shouted from a tower, Richard Burke, I dismissed you. That's amazing. I know. You're going back to your sitcom moment. That's a sitcom moment. Hanging out the thing of your tower. I just imagine her throwing like black bags out the, out the tower window and just being like, how dare you? You're gone. I've changed the locks. Ha <laughs> ha. Exactly. But in other sources, it does say that they agreed to marry for a year as a political arrangement that would benefit them both so that they both could get stocks essentially in each other's lands and stuff like that. But in terms of her actually shouting out the window, that does actually appear to be true, true. Although that wasn't what dissolved the marriage technically, because they did actually stay together until much later in life, even though they were technically divorced. So they kind of had like, I imagine like, they're like Beyonce and Jay-Z or something like. I was just thinking they're like the OG Ross and Rachel. Yeah, or Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. They seem to have some kind of arrangement that worked for them. And they're both getting money, so they were fine with that. But this is actually where her reputation of being a pirate comes into play. Because of her family, she would have been used to the sea, and she would have been out on ships and stuff a lot and grew up in that world. And when her father died, Grace inherited his large shipping and trading business. Now, piracy and plunder was always a part of seafaring business. They kind of went hand in hand. So at the time, the cities were controlled by the English and they put high taxes on the Irish. So people normally would take their produce to trade to Europe. And that's what the O'Malley's did. They had a few sources of income. Another source of business at the time was that map making wasn't a thing, really. People didn't have maps and not many people went to the west coast of Ireland. That would have been a very remote area. So the O'Malley's acted as pilots for the ships going through the seas and gotten paid, basically. And then if they did that and a ship wasn't going to pay, they went after it and got aboard it and stuff. So that's kind of where the piracy elements come in. And then 
as well as that because of the political state with all the feuding, the feuding clans often imported mercenary soldiers from the highlands of Scotland and they were called the Red Shanks. And from about May to October, they were brought over and they fought for a chieftain and then were sent home. And it just reminds me of in Ireland, for all the festivals, they actually get Scottish security teams over every year from like May to October and I just thought that was so funny because they're essentially like warriors sometimes <laughs> they can be very tough and brutal security and electric picnic and stuff I'm just thinking it brings a whole new meaning to the idea of body and soul <laughs> for sure they all they're missing is some war paint and a, and a hammer or an axe or something so sometimes they'd be hired for the same people that they fought against the year before. So it was strictly business. You know, they didn't have any sense of loyalty or anything. They were just brought over and the O'Malley's would be the couriers. So they'd actually go and get them on their ships and bring them back. And it was simply business, not about national pride or anything. Before he died as well in his life, Dovdara O'Malley issued licenses for foreigners to fish in his territory because people were ban them from trading in towns they imposed a fine and a toll on people who wanted to fish on their waters so that would have been english ships that wanted to fish they imposed heavy fines but when grania whale or grace o'malley became the the runner of the show here she actually started imposing very heavy fines on english ships in particular and this made her financially very healthy around this time as well england wanted to control Ireland because they saw it as the weak link uh, or the back door to their enemies from Europe. They were right because the King of Spain really wanted Queen Elizabeth off the throne, who was in charge at this stage, and he made three excursions through Ireland. So she knew that she had to rule Ireland to prevent that happening. That actually played a big part as well in Grace O'Malley's life because then her entire civilization more or less came under attack, you know, from the English Empire. But she was very like, like bitches get money, you know. She was just like, she seems to be a very hard businesswoman. So then people were coming over from England trying to take the land from the Irish chieftains. So they'd come here and be like, what right do you have this to this by English law? And the chieftains would be like, it's ours by Irish law. And then they'd be like, whatever, it's English law here now. So henceforth, lots of fights, lots of feuding over land and inheritance. And we all know how that ended up. Not so good. <laughs> What's really interesting is that she never pretended to be a man to fit into her environment or never tried to make herself more masculine compared to like we talked about Anne Bonny last week and her accomplice Mary Reed, they both had to pretend to be men. It was all very Mulan. But Gronwell apparently really not used her femininity, but like didn't try and hide it and wasn't ashamed of it. When her first husband died, women weren't necessarily chieftains at this stage. They would have been a long time ago when there was druids and stuff they would have had female leaders and female chieftains but through the years the women became more oppressed and they weren't seen as leaders so she wanted to lead by a really strong example by being a really fierce and strong leader it's something that i find quite interesting actually if you look at kind of the more ancient irish history the breton laws were nicer to women than you know other countries laws were so i find it interesting that the more anglicized ireland becomes 
the more of a diminished role that Irish women start to play in society. Now, obviously, there was like a level of uh, misogyny and the patriarchy there. And you can see that in the fact that there is like much less written about women than there would have been about men. But yeah, there seems to have been like, exactly as you say, women in roles that in other countries, you might not necessarily have found them in similar roles at that time. Most definitely. So Ireland, well done for at least a little while. <laughs> Colonisation for the ruination of, of womankind for generations. It's crazy to think what would have happened had Ireland not been colonised. Like, if we continued living in that way, like, what way this country would be now? Because when you read about it, like, compared to other civilizations. It's really like magical and mystical and there's, you know, and there is very strong women leaders and a lot of worshipping of arts and nature and stuff like that, like big old strong hippies, you know. But sure, even when we were looking at the witches, like Ireland was one of the countries that had the least amount of witch trials and deaths as a result of witchcraft. Um, and I think that's largely because of the the background that Ireland had coming into into all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's funny, actually, because it's the puritanical influence that really started this. And Granny Whale gets in, in a fight with the Puritans that causes three rebellions. So, yeah, um, she didn't pretend to be a man. And where the piracy kind of came into it is if a ship was wrecked or stuck or it didn't pay its tolls, it was really anyone's game. You could board that, you know, if you felt you had cause for it. Not legally, but it was kind of, you know. Fair play. Fair play, yes, that's it. I believe the technical term is fair play. So she led her fleet a few times on plundering raids. So this is where her reputation of being a pirate comes about. She was actually captured by Earl Desmond on one of these raids and was imprisoned in Dublin Castle. They only kept really big political people, really, in Dublin Castle. And to bring her from the west of Ireland to Dublin just shows how much she was actually becoming a threat to... The powers that be. Precisely, at the time. And it's just a sign of how important she was, really. She was there for a year, but they left her out because uh, Iron Richard was causing havoc over in the west of Ireland, just in general. Because a really big problem was that because the chieftains were so used to fighting with one another, they didn't look at the bigger picture. And then when England started coming over and wanting to take the land, they had a divide and conquer strategy, which led them in a successful takeover, where had all the chieftains come together and fought for the country rather than their own individual places it may have been a bit different so anyway he was wrecking the place over in mayo and she said that if she was left out that she'd go sort it out and quell him and she did kind of she went back to mayo and took her throne then essentially and she was the leader there and her followers really looked to her as a strong and capable leader but at the time in England, a lot of puritanical views were getting into English politics. And these didn't suit Queen Elizabeth either, actually. She apparently wasn't a fan of that. And Sir Richard Bingham uh, was sent to take hold of the west of Ireland. And Grace O'Malley and Bingham despised each other. He sounds like an awful wanker anyway. And he believed that the only way to tame the Irish was not by wor words, but by swords. So, you know, stand-up guy here. 
and she was captured in a battle against him and there is a quote of her saying he erected a gallows where I thought he would end my days she thought she was going to be killed but she was let go because her followers started handing in hostages from neighboring areas in exchange for her so they really tried to get her released and they did actually get her released because of that but then Bingham killed her oldest son, Owen, and then captured her favorite son, Toby. Can we just talk about that for a second? I love that in like a lot of these things, it's like the but her favorite son, like that that was known, that that has lived through this long throughout history. That like, imagine now, you know, the way in all like the parenting books, it's really like nurture your child's feelings, you know, blah. and then back then it was just like, you're my favorite. <laughs> I have discussed this with my brothers over the years as to who's the favourite. I have been told many times that I'm the favourite daughter, but I feel like that's a cop-out because I have no sisters. Imagine having it documented for centuries. So he was captured because he was arrested for treason and the punishment for this was to be hanged and she knew that Bingham would do this gladly and wouldn't let him go. So she decided to go over his head and go directly to the queen. Now, the legend has it. Just before you start telling the legend, this is my favourite legend about her. Okay. I hope I don't, like, debunk a lot of things about it because, like, most of these stories, when you look at different sources, like, they're all different, but this is what factually happened, what's stated. So I'm going to go with this one. The legend has it that she sailed over and demanded to speak to the queen at once. Is that what you have? Yeah, I have that she uh, was wanted for crimes at the time, for piracy, that they wanted to arrest her. And she sailed over to the queen and demanded an audience. But she was so powerful in the west of Ireland at the time that they didn't arrest her and allowed her to see the queen. Well, there's, there's, it's kind of similar. The factual what actually happened was that there was a protocol to this. Apparently, it would be no different to as if a political leader needed to go see the Queen now. They couldn't just arrive at their Buckingham Palace and like bang down the door. They'd be shot on arrival. So what she did is that she knew the Earl of Ormond. So she contacted him to essentially give her a reference letter. Because they were buddies, or they like had come across each other and he was fond of her, but he was also related to the Queen. He wrote a reference letter, and she sent that to the Queen with the letter saying that she needed to come and meet her and talk about her son and the state of things in Ireland. So she went there. Now, she did sail there herself, but she had other people with her. Now, in folklore as well, it says that she'd spoken Latin to the Queen, but the biographer Anne Chambers discredits this lore as she makes the really great point that because O'Malley would have been constantly interacting with English fleets and English fishermen and English soldiers, and because she was from like a, a well-off royal family, essentially, she would have had a very good hand at the English language. And she w- knew Spanish fluently as well from Spanish fleets and interacting with Spanish people. And she probably would have known Latin as well because of her background but there would have been no need for them to speak fully in Latin so the records say that they actually spoke in English I think it's quite romantic though or something to think that she's demanding Latin to free her son and free her people 
but it, it, that apparently wasn't actually the case. And in the stories as well, it's very like head on, like she, you know, bangs down the door. But in actual fact, they were both in their 60s at this stage. So they were both kind of getting on, you know, and the meeting was very civilized. And apparently they got on really well with one another, so much so that the queen ordered her son be released immediately and gave Grace O'Malley license to return to the sea, uh, which was a right that Bingham had barred her from. So he had barred her from the sea. So in this letter as well, she says that she could go back to sea and, in quotation marks, to fight in our quarrel with all the worlds. Now, that's in modern terms meant to mean like female solidarity, but I don't think people in Ireland took it that way at the time and got to be in their bonnet about it, thinking that she meant fight for the English cause, but that's not actually the case. It's supposed to be like a subtle glance of female solidarity. But apparently as well, they were quite catty with each other because like in the letter that he write, she writes for Bingham, she says... Grace O'Malley is ancient and an old withered woman, even though they were the same age. I imagine that all of those years of seafaring probably took it out on her face a little bit more than Queen Elizabeth, though. And you're saying about a sitcom. I don't give a damn about that sitcom you mentioned earlier. I want to see Grace O'Malley and the Queen sitting in a room in their 60s as like two female leaders of just wild men everywhere and and I imagine them drinking tea out of porcelain yeah I just really think that that would be cool to just watch the two of them drinking some tea and I know this is a different Queen Elizabeth but I just imagine the little corgi as well it'd be great I think it would be a really good show altogether. like you could do her life you know through different stages but if you did it like the favorite have you seen the favorite yeah like that that would be really really good to do with a meeting in that style um actually Anne Chambers I was listening to a podcast with her speaking about this and she was writing a movie about it so who knows there could be a movie quite soon that would be really interesting and really good yeah because that's the one thing we were kind of conscious a little bit of over whether or not to even do Grace O'Malley because she is so well known so yeah I guess out of out of the women that we've spoken about so far Grace is the one that probably stands the best chance of getting a film representation of her life because she's pretty well known globally which is nice to have an Irish woman well known globally for once for sure yeah there have been plays and stuff um written about her apparently there's like a really cheesy musical that was on Broadway that was awful (laughs) but I don't know just what I've come across people have been like not like that musical but she's been mentioned in a lot of things, but um, she's often narrated as this like nationalist hero, but that's kind of twisted into to suit the narrative of an Irish nationalist feminist hero, you know, but that's not actually the case because that's not actually the world that she would have been in. So to actually have just a story about her life, that would be pretty dope. And as well, she lived till she was 93. Which was amazing because the average age at the time was 35, like the average lifespan. And she died in 1603 and she led an attack on on the family of O'Neill on the island of Barra when she was 93. (laughs) Amazing. So she was still keeping going. And apparently she took loads of lovers as well from different countries. So (laughs) that that could spice things up a bit. But as I kind of mentioned there, it's really interesting that she was left out of Irish history until more recently. And this is mainly because 
by the time of her death, Ireland was a very different place to when she was born and religion had a much stronger hold. And she didn't fit into the image of what people wanted as an Irish woman up until the, the 80s or kind of even the 90s. People wanted Irish women to be a symbol of charity and God-fearing or a good wife or a nationalist symbol. And she's put into this kind of nationalist hero box of fighting against the English. But in reality, that didn't really fit into her culture. It was survival of the fittest against anybody and everybody and anything that was a threat to your people, as in your kind of more closer area. And she wasn't exactly a pirate, although she did get up to some pirate activities. But she was a leader of battle, a politician, a chieftain, a warrior queen, and a very, very good businesswoman. And some of this did happen on both. So therein lies the Irish pirate queen legacy. And it was really outstanding because as we talked about last week, a woman on a ship was supposed to be really bad luck. And people didn't want women on ships. So for her to take the reins or take the mask of you know, her father's kind of empire and just to be like, I'm running this now, you don't like it, F off. <laughs> you know, there was no, uh, sh- she just didn't put up with any bullshit. She is mentioned in a lot of pop culture and literature and stuff. I think it's Patrick Pierce mentions her in his opening, in one of his speeches about and uses her as a symbol for the nationalist cause which I don't know how accurate you know that is but I can see why she was turned into a symbol for nationalism you know well particularly when we've looked at a lot of the women who kind of would have been in and around the kind of revolutionary period in Ireland they were really pushing for equality of all Irish people in general so it would make sense to pick like a strong female historical figure to be emblematic of Ireland to kind of show that this is a new Ireland that encapsulates all genders rather than just men yeah and she's really fierce as well and like very brave and stuff so she's a good metaphor for a new ireland and as well like what are their women what are they really of that stature or kind of that legacy queen Maeve, but that's like you know like literally the only name that came to mind for me as well yeah so that's the story of grace o'malley and um, i think it was really interesting actually researching her because I didn't know the facts from fiction or facts from folklore and yeah maybe you heard some things that you didn't hear about before or just add on to what you already knew. Add on to what I already knew as I said this is one that like I've been reading about this this woman since I was a little girl. Actually do you know the book Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls? Yeah. Grace O'Malley features in that. Yeah I I think those books are amazing. They're really great. And I was trying to hear it. They have a podcast, but it was only in Spanish. So I couldn't listen to it. But what do do they go through her life in the story? They're just like, everything in that book is just a page long. So it's just kind of an overview of it. But it just made me so happy to see Grace O'Malley in it. That it's just like introducing her to a whole new audience of little girls that could get inspired by her in the same way that I got inspired by her when I was small. That's really cute. That's great. That's really badass, actually. And internationally, they'll know. You know, her legacy lives on. And there is a whiskey, as we mentioned, called Grace O'Malley. There is a beer called Grania Wales. 
and there's loads of things named after her around the country. Yeah, she was a she was a cool lady, and I'm glad that she's finally getting her renaissance. Woo-hoo. Okay, so that was Grace and Melly. So we'll finish up our pirate extravaganza. Go drink some rum in the sun. <laughs> I have to see if I could get a parrot to keep me company during the self isolation. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to us, everybody. And yeah, if you liked it, please share with your friends and like us on Facebook at Phenomenal Podcast and Instagram at Phenomenal Podcast and review us and tell all your friends. And a few people have been sending us through suggestions for women to do, which is really appreciated. So if you think of anybody, please send them on. It's it's always super fun to discover these people that I've never heard about before um, so even if they don't make it through to the episode I will probably fall down a rabbit hole researching them for a while so please do send them on indeed indeed and we hope you're staying safe and sane and okay during these troublesome times okay thanks for listening see you next time bye bye you're hard.